Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, your host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes those in, with detailed reports in the quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate it to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you will receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. A reminder, the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the study of various solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study the submitted observations. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And now, The Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. Our guest today is Richard Schmoody. He's the coordinator of the Jupiter section, I think associate director of the Jupiter section for the ALPO. He's also the recipient, I think one of the few people that have received both the Walter Haas and Peggy Haas awards for the ALPO. We'll talk a little bit about that, hopefully. Plus, recently had an asteroid named after himself. That must have been exciting. And also, he's served as the coordinator for five different observing sections in the ALPO, and has also been the executive director and associate director. So, I'm very pleased to have you on the podcast, Richard. Thank you. So, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'm a uh, professor at Gordon State College in Barnesville, Georgia, and I teach a variety of science classes, including chemistry, astronomy, integrated science for early childhood education majors, and once in a while, I'll even teach a Gordon first-year experience class, just like an orientation class for a beginning freshman. Oh, okay. So basically, this is this college. This is where everything's located. And that type yes. Of thing. Okay. Yes. All right. And you're in Georgia? Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, what type of observing equipment do you have? Okay. I'm a little different than most people. I have telescopes, and I also have 
very accurate light meter. It's actually called a photoelectric photometer. And the, one of the big things I do is that I measure the brightness of the planets. Oh, okay. I also look at other people's images. I use some software called WinJupos to analyze images, and I also use other techniques as well. I'm able to, uh, for example, measure wind speeds on Jupiter and even measure the sizes of various uh, features on that planet. Now, how are you able to measure wind speeds on Jupiter? Well, what I do is I'll look at a series of images, say, taken over four months. Okay. And what I'll do is I'll look and see where, let's just say, the great red spot is measure its longitude. And I'll do that maybe three times a week and then do that for several weeks. And what will happen is the longitude gradually shifts. And recently the longitude has shifted for the great red spot at a rate of about, oh, three degrees per month. Really? Which, yes. And what you'll do is you'll plot out the longitude versus the elapsed time. You get a linear graph, usually, almost always you get a linear graph, and then you determine the slope, and that'll, that's proportional to the wind speed. Okay. Now, has, has this been, this three degree per month, has this been sudden, or has it been constant over the years? Um, sort of in the middle. Um, sometimes it'll be two, sometimes it'll be one, sometimes it'll be four degrees a month. Um, um, and uh, that's why it's interesting to keep up with it, because, you know, it's not going to just be rate straight constant every time. It's going to vary a little bit. Okay, but does the size of the red spot change, though? So, I mean, how do you take into account the size of the red spot and its location? It's complicated. The problem with the red spot is its surroundings change. And you have to ask yourself, well, where does the red spot begin and end? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you will see a dark border around the great red spot. Right. Sometimes you won't. Do you count the border? Do you not? Um, sometimes the south equatorial belt is right on is right there with the great red spot. Sometimes it's not. Mm. So it's tricky. Um, but John Rogers is, is really good at this, and he claims the great red spot is getting smaller. And it's by less than 1%, I believe, a year. But it is getting smaller. And over a century, it becomes pretty apparent that the great red spot's getting smaller. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I mean, we could talk about this for hours, I'm sure. But well, let's focus on... Uh, uh, how you got involved with the ALPO first? Um, I guess it was probably back in 1981, and I read an article about Mars. I think Jeff Bish was the author. Um, he may have been – Don Parker may have been a co-author with them. They did everything and, together uh, back then, didn't they? What? <laughs> they did everything together back then, didn't they? <laughs> yes, yes. They were a good team. They were. And, um I joined, and I think it was in the summer or the fall of 1981. Okay. And what was your immediate interest? Was it Mars, because that's what got you interested? or? I think it was Mars, yeah. yes. What type of telescope were you using back then? Back then, that would have been 19, or 1981. Oh, I don't... Th 
if I had a telescope, it was a very small refractor. Yeah, I think that's real. I started with like a 60-millimeter refractor, and I was in the training program actually in the 70s using that. And it was a long time ago. All right. Yes. <laughs> Give us a little overview of the Jupiter section, will you? Okay. Um, there's really three sort of um, um, areas that we're, we're looking at. The first one is just what's going on on Jupiter, wind speeds, um, changes in belts and zones. Um, some people are taking um, very, are using very special filters to take images of Jupiter, for example. Some people are taking methane band images. But basically the first thrust is just looking at Jupiter itself, the disk, the features on the disk. The second area is measuring the brightness of Jupiter. That's sort of I've been doing that. Um, currently, I am using a near-infrared photometer to do that. Um, I'm interested in wavelengths between oh, 1.1 and 1.8 microns, roughly. That's beyond C- most CCD cameras, okay. by the way. Now, are these photometers off-the-shelf items or yes. special built? Okay. Optic. Oh, okay, optic. All right. You can find yes. them on the Internet. Okay. All right. The third area is... Uh, Galilean eclipse timings. Um, John Westfall sort of heads that up, and he's been doing it for quite a while now. And basically, I really like that uh, portion of the section because somebody with like a 60 millimeter refractor and a very, you know, accurate timepiece, and of course, I think you can get it synchronized um, to um, the atomic clock or whatever. Um, you can do, you can still do valuable work with just a 60 millimeter refractor. Yeah, I just used to do time- a lot of those to the, the uh, Galilean eclipse timings and first time I ever exactly. saw one it blew me away. I mean the, exactly. uh, it was like Io was to the right of Jupiter and then it was just gone. because it, it, it went into the shadow of Jupiter and I'm like holy cow, this is really neat. <laughs> you can see the motion of the moons real time. Yes. Yes. And so that is the third area. Um so, so those are the three areas we're, we're sort of focusing on right now. And John Westfall is in charge of Galilean satellite eclipse timings, and he's done a really good job of um, publishing apparition reports. And he has something like a dozen, maybe two dozen people submit observations regularly. Okay. And what type of equipment do you suggest for the Jupiter section overall? Well, it depends what you want to do. Um, you know, with photometry... You don't need a big telescope. I'm using a three and a half inch telescope. Because you're just generally looking at the magnitude of the planet as a whole. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, if you want to uh, look at fine detail, take photographs or images, again, I, I hate to put a number, mm-hmm. but for most people under most sky conditions, and again, you're not going to get perfect seeing. Um, I would recommend a six-inch telescope or bigger. Okay. All right. And for your contributions to the Jupiter section, are they digital images? Are they drawings? What 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 do you get submitted to the section? Okay, that that is time dependent. Today in 2017, I would say 99 plus percent of the contributions I get are images. Um, less than 1% are drawings, 
And then I have uh, sometimes I'll get uh, intensity estimates and transit times. I need to talk to my students in the training program by doing more Jupiter drawings. <laughs> yes, yes. Is there is there an advantage, disadvantage to either of those that you see? Uh, well, the thing is um, we do need people to make drawings still and make intensity estimates. For example, uh, or, or for instance, you know, we want historical continuity because, you know, 50 years ago that's all they could do. Right. Um, they did take photographs, but no images. Remember, mm-hmm. and um, and so so I still would like to see drawings now. Transit times, again, I get transit measurements from images now, so that's probably not as critical because that's you know I can get those from the images quite easily. But the thing is, the eye sees differently than the camera, so the drawings are still still needed intensity estimates are still needed <clears throat> and if you're not familiar with that basically what we do is we estimate how bright an object is on a scale of 0 to 10 and um, you know like um, a 0 would be very black. dark yeah black black yes. ALPO scale right yeah, the 0 to 10 grayscale is a mandatory part of the training program when people in it. It's one of the first things I have them do, so then they can use that for a reference later on when they make their observations. Right. Yeah, yeah and I get confused because I use more the European scale, which is just the opposite. Oh, no, is it really? Yep. <laughs> oh, that's those damn Europeans, I tell you. Well, that could be confusing when you're reducing op- observations then, too. It, it is, and... Um, um, there's, it's kind of interesting how the two scales develop, but um, anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that except okay. to say that we do need intensity estimates. Okay, and those would be of the individual features on the surface of the planet. Yes, like how dark or bright is the North Equatorial Belt, the South Equatorial Belt, the polar regions, the Great Red Spot, so on and so forth. Right. How many current contributors does the Jupiter section have? Well... That's hard to answer, and the reason why is I use the images from the ALPO Japan latest website. It's a free website. I can get on it, and uh, generally there's almost there's around 200 people who submit to that website along with just send me images. Okay, so 200. Yes, that's quite that's quite a lot. That's that's I think that's the largest. Uh, contributors I've heard from any of the any of the sections so far that I've talked to. How are the how are the uh, observations published? Just in the JA uh, journal or el- elsewhere? Okay, um, pretty much the journal. Um, trying to think. Once in a while, what I'll do is I'll publish something in the Georgia Journal of Science. Um, for example, oh five or six years ago, I published based on several years of images and photographs, how the North Equatorial Belt got wider and thinner Okay. years. Huh. That's about the only thing I can think of regarding Jupiter that I published elsewhere. Now, of course, I've also published some photometry um, elsewhere, too, but that's just basically what I've been able to get. I see, I see. Um, what do you see for the future of the program? Um... I, I think it can be very bright. Um, 
let me tell you one area that I think we can start thinking about, and that is taking an image of Jupiter. Now, we still do our flat field and dark corrections, mm-hmm. but no more processing than that. The reason why is images have brightness data in them. And I just saw a paper published in the Journal of the British Astronomical Association. It was a Saturn report, I think, from 2003 um, by Richard McKim. And what he did, he took an image of Saturn and its rings, and he basically measured how bright the rings are. And I was really glad to see that. It just came out, I believe it's the April 2017 issue of the Journal of the British Astronomical Association. Okay. And this is sort of the thing I would like ALPO members to do. Um, they can take a picture of Jupiter through the blue filter and then through the red filter, and they can actually get an intensity difference in the blue and the red. Oh, I'm sure, and yeah. Get, get sort of a color and look for color changes, say, in the North Equatorial Belt. Hmm. Yeah, I know when I do my Jupiter observations, I normally use like a Rattan 80A blue filter that yeah. really pops the detail out of it. But trying different color filters and making images, that sounds like an interesting plan. Are you going to write a paper on that or a request for observations? Um, I'd like to write a paper about it. My My only problem is I've got so many things going on, and really... I would need to actually sit down and do it before mm-hmm. I can write a paper about it. Uh-huh. I've sort of told people about this before, but, you know, they're the experts on the camera and the image processing. I'm not. Well, let's put a call out right now to any Jupiter observers out there that have the the equipment to do imaging with different color filters and no processing on the images? Well, except for the dark field oh, right. and the flat field corrections. You okay. do need to do that. All right. Well, if you, if there are people out there listening to this that uh, have that equipment, send your observations over to Richard, and uh, we'll see what we can do about that. Yes, and I believe what the see the professional astronomers have been doing that. For example, with Hubble images for years, mm-hmm. I believe they save them as FITS files. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Wow, that sounds exciting. Something new to do with the planet. I love it. Um, oh, yes. Is there any additional information you would like to share about the Jupiter section? Um, that's about it. Um, um, keep sending the images in and think about the quantitative color information that are in your images. That sounds good. Well, how can everybody get a hold of you? Um, well, uh, I believe I'm listed on the ALPO website. Uh, my email is my last name, S-C-H- M U D is in Doctor E is in Edward at GordonState.edu. Okay, I also put that in the show notes so people can easily go to the bottom of the podcast and find it. Okay, are you That'd on? Cool. Are you on the Twitter or the Facebook or anything like that? I'm on Facebook, but it's uh, I don't check it too often. I do not have home internet service anymore. Oh, you disconnected, huh? Yep. Good for you. I wish I could do that. My wife won't let me. <laughs> It's what the internet can be useful. I mean, if you need to make purchases, but right. unfortunately, if you're sitting down there wasting an hour each time you log on, I don't think that's good. It takes time away from your telescope. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Richard, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. You're welcome.
Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I really want to thank our guest, Richard Schmoody, for coming on. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is in the show notes. We're also available on Google Play and Stitcher, so anywhere you want to download a podcast, we are available. This podcast is not self-sufficient. We depend upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. You can help support this podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving as little as a dollar a month. For $5, you'll receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive the Novice Observer's Handbook, which I wrote, which is the handbook of the training program. And for $35 a month, you'll receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us up by going to the link www.patreon that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash observers notebook the link for patreon as well as the link for the alpo is in the show notes you can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on twitter at at tim robertson 56 you can find the alpo on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org you can also find the alpo on facebook by searching alpo astronomy And the podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for The Observer's Notebook. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thank you for listening.